Good morning, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief. I'm Emily Rao. Glad to have you with us on a Thursday. Your top stories today, Michael Cohen, his sentencing and the fallout. The president is now breaking his silence in the sentence of his longtime fixer. We've got a feel-good story for you out of West Virginia. Those three people that ventured into the coal mine, they have been found safe. And we'll take you to the United Kingdom, where the Prime Minister, Theresa May, she was dancing a little jig in this video, but is she doing the same today after surviving a crucial vote. We'll break it all down for you. But first, your headlines. Later today, Russian Maria Butina pleads guilty to violating U.S. foreign agent laws. Death toll rising from a rail crash in Turkey. A high-speed train heading out of Ankara hit a locomotive doing work on the same line and crashed into a pedestrian overpass. Nine people are known dead, 47 injured. In New York, a massive fire in Queens this morning. It's injuring, it injured at least 11 people, six of them firefighters. More than 150 firefighters were there on the scene to battle the flames and to help families evacuate. The cause of the fire is under investigation. Toyota recalling 70,000 Toyota and Lexus vehicles that are at least 13 years old. They're going to replace previously replaced airbag inflators that can explode. Apple is planning a new billion dollar campus in Austin, Texas, adding 5,000 jobs. The company also announcing plans for new sites in Seattle, San Diego, Culver City over the next three years. California regulators may impose a fee for texting to help fund mobile phones for the poor. But the FCC has just ruled that texting is not something states can regulate. But supporters of the tax plan to push ahead with the fee. All right, everybody, let's get right into our top story of the day. Michael Cohen, President Trump's longtime personal attorney and fixer, will serve three years for crimes he committed while working on behalf of Donald Trump. This is a big story, a lot to get to here and dissect. So we're going to bring in Karen Travers at the White House. We also have Aaron Katursky here in New York. And let's start with Aaron. Aaron, you were in the courtroom yesterday. You saw all of this play out, high emotions all around. Can you walk us through the nuts and bolts? of the charges here involved and, and the sentence for Michael Cohen. There were nine total counts, Emily, eight of them brought by federal prosecutors in New York and a charge of lying to Congress brought by special counsel Robert Mueller and Michael Cohen after an emotional statement in which his voice appeared to catch as he turned toward his parents to say, I'm sorry, also offered his confirmation that he is no longer a loyal foot soldier of President Trump's. He said that at first there, he liked President Trump's business acumen, but he said over the years he has learned there is little to be admired. He seemed to rue the day that he began working for Donald Trump more than a decade ago. He said it left him in a personal and mental incarceration, and he also talked about being finally freed from that personal and mental incarceration, striking for somebody about to head off to prison for three years, and he'll have to report to prison on March 6th. 
Very interesting, Aaron, to hear him compare that to a different kind of incarceration. Now, after this happened yesterday, President Trump had been pretty quiet about it, even when he was asked about it at the White House. Let's go to Karen Travers, because that has changed as of today. Karen, of course, the president taking to Twitter to talk about this. Yeah, Emily, it took almost 24 hours for the president to chime in and react to the sentencing of Michael Cohen. Yesterday, I was in the Roosevelt Room when the president was holding an event, and we asked him for his reaction. He turned away and walked out of the room without weighing in. But this morning, the president, no surprise, jumping in on Twitter, writing that he never directed Michael Cohen to break the law. But, of course, federal prosecutors, Emily, say that that is exactly what happened, that, that Michael Cohen made those payments to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal in coordination with and at the direction of President Trump. It is notable here, Emily, the president saying he never directed Michael Cohen to break the law. He does not say explicitly in these tweets that he didn't tell Michael Cohen to make those payments. That's an important distinction here. Very true. Thank you very much, Karen. And I heard your voice in that video from the White House. <laughs> I recognized it. Way to get that question in there, even though it turns out he did not decide to answer it really until today. All right. Thanks, Karen, so much from the White House there. And yesterday, that was not even the only major development that came out. Another really revealing thing here, the publisher of the National Enquirer, who, Enquirer, who we know that President Trump has had a longstanding relationship, the, the publisher now admitting to paying off a Playboy model and her story about then-candidate Trump. Let's go back to Aaron Katursky about this because this is uh, really fascinating. We'll get to him in just a second, but because this is a, such a complex story, let's go to David Wright with a little bit more of an explainer about what happened. Inquiring minds want to know what sensational scoops might the National Enquirer have that are of interest to federal prosecutors. They got OJ, they got Edwards, they got this. I mean, if that was the New York Times, they would have gotten Pulitzer Prizes for their reporting. The publisher of Trump's tabloid, as it's been called, is Trump's friend, David Pecker. In that plea deal just made public, AMI, the Inquirer's parent company, admits to paying $150,000 to former Playboy playmate Karen McDougal just three months before the election to kill her story about an alleged affair. And according to new details just released in the agreement, this was done at the request of the campaign to suppress the model's story so as to prevent it from influencing the election. There were real feelings between the two of us. Prosecutors also say Pecker and AMI tipped off Trump's longtime lawyer Michael Cohen that porn star Stormy Daniels was about to go public about her alleged affair with Trump. Cohen pled guilty to paying her off. Trump's verbal authorization recorded by Cohen. When it comes time for the financing, which will be... Listen, what financing? We'll have to pay you. So I'll pay no, 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 no. Prosecutors say all of this was part of a plan the Inquirer's publisher concocted with the candidate two months after Trump announced he was running for president. It grew increasingly uh, to the point where nothing negative was reported. Nothing negative about Trump, that is, but the supermarket tabloid was vicious about Trump's rivals. During the primaries, the Inquirer accused Ted Cruz's father of conspiring with Lee Harvey Oswald to assassinate JFK, and Trump gleefully seized on the story. I have no idea whether it was right or not. They actually have a very good record of being right, but I have absolutely no idea. It was not true, nor were any number of front-page exclamation points about Hillary Clinton. 
Clinton, six months to live. Hillary gains 103 pounds. Hillary Hitman tells all. The Inquirer would be offered the most scandalous stories, and depending on um, the celebrity's friendship with, with uh, David Pecker, those stories would either see the light of day or they'd be killed. Despite its questionable tactics, the tabloid has been right on the money on other stories. It was the first to publish that infamous monkey business photo that ultimately brought down one-time Democratic presidential hopeful Gary Hart. And perhaps most significantly, back in 2008, the paper broke the story about Democrat John Edwards and his affair with Riel Hunter, which eventually saw Edwards stand trial for alleged campaign finance violations. All right, Aaron, this is increasingly becoming a complex web of stories to keep track of here. So can you tell us a little bit more about this? This deal with the publishing company, this is not a new deal. It was made a few months ago. Is that right? It, it is. More than three months ago, AMI, the publisher of the National Enquirer, decided to enter into a non-prosecution agreement with federal prosecutors in New York. And as part of that, AMI admits that it paid Karen McDougal, the Playboy model, $150,000 to buy her story of an alleged affair with Donald Trump for the purposes of burying it, a practice in the industry known as catch and kill, where the National Enquirer would buy stories and, and that could be unflattering for favored sources and, and then just bury them, never publish them. And so they admit that that's what was going on here. In this case, the favored source was Donald Trump. The payment was arranged with Michael Cohen, and this is important because it gives federal prosecutors corroboration. Michael Cohen said that this was a payment made to protect the campaign. The National Enquirer says this was a payment made to protect the campaign, and both say that it was done in connection with others involved in the Trump campaign. Those others have not been named. All right, Aaron, especially interesting when you see it right up next to those other headlines about some of Donald Trump's opponents during that campaign. Very interesting. So what are you all looking for to come next? We know developments are, seem to be coming in every day, faster and faster, and, and really big news here. So what are you watching out for? Well, look, I, I think anything that the National Enquirer might know could be juicy, could be gossipy, and, and could be well talked about. But it may not relate to the core matters at the heart of the Russia investigation and, and special counsel Robert Mueller. And that seems to be the, the, the primary focus of where Michael Cohen was most helpful. And remember what the special counsel's representative said in court, Emily, that Michael Cohen had provided wide-ranging and useful information at the core of Russia-related matters. That can't be comfortable for the president to hear or for anyone in his orbit to hear. And so we wait to see what information the special counsel might have and how they may use it. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the federal prosecutors in New York are still investigating this campaign finance violation and tracking down anyone who might be involved to see whether they too are exposed in the criminal case. All right, Aaron Katursky, the one and only breaking it down and making it seem a little bit more digestible for us today. Thank you very much. Okay, let's give our brains a little bit of a break here to go to a feel-good story that none of us even knew that we needed. Let's go to West Virginia, where they are calling it a miracle rescue. David Curley is there after those three people that ventured into an abandoned coal mine. They have been rescued now. David, can you explain how it all went down? Well, first of all, let's talk about those three survivors. They were brought here to the Charleston Hospital late last night, uh, but they didn't stay. 
All three checked themselves out of this hospital in the middle of the night, two and three o'clock in the morning to go back home to Whitesville, West Virginia, in the middle of coal country here in West Virginia. But it was an amazing scene yesterday. Uh, by the way, they checked themselves out and they look pretty good, even though nearly five days inside this abandoned yeah. mine. But as the ambulances were coming by the community center where their families have been holding vigil for several days, the ambulances stopped, the convoy stopped, and the three of them hopped out of the ambulance and ran into the community center for hugs and kisses and reuniting with their families before they got back in the ambulances and were brought here to this hospital. This all started early Saturday morning when they went into that mine illegally with a fourth person, a man, and according to families, they were there to steal copper wire because you can recycle it and make some money. So we were able to talk overnight with a, two of those survivors about how they made it the nearly five days inside that cold, dark, wet mine. Yeah, we stayed together, mm -hmm. prayed to God. We prayed we a lot. Prayed we to tried God to stay we together. Make it out. We drank mine water. We yeah. had no food. We just found a stream in the mine to start drinking and hoping, praying to God that it was not contaminated. Yeah. We panicked sometimes, then we'd pray a lot and pulled together yeah. as much as we could. I feel great being <laughs> here with my family. I was glad to be family. home with my family. My friends and my brothers that I see around me right now, my family. We appreciate every one of you guys. All, all everybody. who was involved in searching for us, I just want to thank you with everything inside of me. That is the good news that they survived and they appear fairly healthy. The rescuers had been using their air tanks apparatus to try and get into the mine. The real breakthrough came yesterday. The mine company that owns this abandoned mine shut down a couple of years ago had put in a couple of big fans and were blowing fresh air and that actually raised the level of oxygen in the mine so that the rescuers could work without their face, uh, their breathing apparatus, and more rescuers could go in the mine. They found them about dinner time last night and were able to bring them out. Now, some serious questions today. Number one, the three, actually all four of them, uh, there's a pending criminal investigation. At least they could be charged with trespassing if they were trying to take copper wire possibly larceny charges as well. And there's the broader question. This is not the first time this has happened. There's a man missing in another mine uh, that happened several weeks ago, has not been found. The state and state officials here are saying something has to be done to stop people from going into these mines and trying to steal this copper wire. The governor suggested the other day maybe they should make it illegal to sell this copper wire from mines. And, and, and a recycler would know what kind of wire it is. It's very thick to get electricity deep into the mine uh, for the equipment when there are, they are mining coal. So the three individuals are alive. Uh, they are home. Uh, but some serious questions for the state of West Virginia and how they deal with this issue, Emily. All right, and just fascinating how they were able to get in there and get those those three out there alive. Thank you very much uh, to David Curley in West Virginia. And we're going to move on now to some international news to France, where three people are now dead after a shooting at a Christmas market in France on Tuesday night. Our Ian panel is there and brings us the latest. Emily, you join us in the middle of a police operation going on in the Newdorf district of Strasbourg. Newdorf is important because that's where the alleged assailant came from and also where we believe he fled back to after attacking in central Strasbourg. Let me just paint the scene for you a bit here. You can see there are police here in the middle of the road. The road itself has been cordoned off. You just see there's a small police pickup truck there. 
but there's certainly activity going on in the centre of the road down there. If we swing back in the other direction, you can see the road has also been blocked off over there. All the traffic is being urged to pass by. No one is allowed to go down into that area. We know that the police have launched a massive manhunt after the attack took place. We've also been speaking to some of the people who were involved in that. One particular young man called Axel described the panic and the terror that took place on the night of the attack when he was out with his girlfriend. Um, the shooter uh, take the gun and uh, he shoot uh, three times of uh, people to front me. And um, did you see? You saw him shoot two people yes, in front of you. Yes, yes. Because I, I'm, uh, I am uh, maybe uh, eight meters on the shoot. Uh, eight meters yes. away. So that's about about six yards away. Yes, six uh, yards. No, yes. no, about ten yards away from uh, from the shooter. Yes. What, what was your reaction? Panic. Yes, panic. It's the first reaction. But uh, after um, after the three the three shoot. Uh, I take my girlfriend with the arm and uh, I said, uh, go, 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 run, run, run. And uh, after I uh, turn, uh, I turn off the shooter, um, he shoot two more times. So for now, we're waiting to see. There are very few details being given by the police as to exactly what it is that they found. We knew that the alleged assailant was was injured, that he'd been shot by French soldiers uh, as he tried to flee the scene, but he was able to get in a taxi and get back to this area. There'd been a suspicion that perhaps he'd fled across the border into Germany. We know there'd been a couple of uh, police operations in that specific area as well. Uh, but now we're just waiting to see whether or not they're getting any closer to trying to find the man who's responsible for the terrorist attack here in Strasbourg. Emily? All right, Ian Panel in France, where that manhunt is in full swing there. And from France to the United Kingdom, where the Prime Minister, Theresa May, breathing a bit of a sigh of relief. You'll see in this video, look at her, she likes to dance a little bit. This was from a few months ago. But the question, is she now dancing that jig after winning a, a key party confidence vote yesterday in the United Kingdom? Let's bring in our Molly Hunter to talk more about that. Break it all down for us. Molly, good morning. <laughs> is she dancing the jig today? Oh my God, Emily, I hope she never dances that jig, but if she was, uh, it will be short-lived. Apparently she had two glasses of wine and some crisps last night to celebrate. Mm. And if that is not a party, I don't know what is, but that's right. She should be feeling good for a little while, but she's still in the same weak position. The vote was 200 to 117. That's more than a third of her party members who voted against her. So that means her party is far apart. We know that two parties are very far apart. And Emily, we know that there's still not a lot of widespread support for this deal. I'm just going to show you a couple of the tabloids here because nobody says it better than the British tabloids. Actually, the Daily Mail and Daily Express both kind of hit on the same note. Now just let her get on with it. Oh. Um, we've got the sun and the sun is usually so clever. I'm actually not a huge fan today. It says time to call it a May, a play on, of course, a day. Mm -hmm. um, and then my current favorite is the Daily Mirror. Her goose is cooked. It's lame duck for Christmas. Um, 
But look, she's got her work cut out for her. She's in Brussels today, and she's basically got two options before January 21st, uh, which is when she has to bring a vote uh, or a deal back in front of uh, the British Parliament. So she can either run down the clock uh, and basically hope that this is the only option, uh, that the choice is between then a no-deal Brexit or her deal, uh, or she can go back to the Europeans uh, and hope for some more legal concessions that might get some more MPs on her side. Now, the Europeans have been very strong, saying that's probably not a possibility, but she is in Brussels today. Uh, and you see Macron, Angela Merkel, um, all of her European friends there. So wishing her luck. All right, Molly, and what about the impact it, this will all have for the United States in terms of the economy? We already have markets here that have been up and down quite a bit the last few weeks. What can you tell us about the impact there? Um, a couple of things, Emily. So, look, if it gets to March 29th, which is the legal date that the U.K. has to leave the European Union and there is no deal, that's not great for anyone. That means uncertainty in the markets. That means all the deals, all the trade deals, all the economic deals that the U.K. has with the EU are just frozen. They evaporate because if no legislation is passed to replace those deals, there's nothing in their place. So that means uncertainty in the markets. And that means uncertainty, Emily, uh, in the U.K.'s relationships with some of their closest allies, uh, of course, the U.S. being one of them. Uh, short term, the pound has been rising a little bit in the last day or so, but it was really low yesterday. And what that means for me and you is it means our dollar is stronger here. That sounds pretty good because it means hotel rooms might be cheaper. It means uh, your flight over here for New Year's Eve might be cheaper, Ooh. Emily. Uh, but it's not great for U.S. businesses, of course, that are trying to sell their goods overseas. Okay, so I can get a cheap flight over to have a couple glasses of wine <laughs> to celebrate exactly. with Theresa May. Got it. All right. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much, Molly Hunter in London for us. Okay, it's Thursday. People looking ahead to the weekend already and the weather forecast. We're seeing some flurries here in New York this morning and a big storm system moving across the country. Let's go to Ginger Z with the latest on your weather. Emily, thank you. Got to show you this storm. It's been moving through the Rockies and uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, at least 250 incidents, accidents from that snow. It didn't even take that much and you can have all that happening. Also wind. So in Vail, Colorado, it's snowing, but somewhere around there and really much of the Rockies, they're seeing 40 to 70 mile per hour wind gusts. And that's something that you have to note about this storm in New Mexico, western Oklahoma. You could still see some really hefty winds going through today. Abilene, Haskell, Texas, Sweetwater, all in the area that could end up with up to three inches of snow. Then you go for the severe storms forecast, and today Shreveport or Texarkana, Tyler, Texas, has a possibility of seeing damaging winds or an outside chance of a tornado. Tomorrow, you see that yellow area in Florida. That's where you have a chance for the afternoon and evening thunderstorms to come through with some severity. So severe storms forecast then. And then up as it moves up the East Coast on Saturday morning, you could end up with really heavy rain totals. We're talking two to four inches, anywhere from, say, Wilmington to Raleigh, all under a flash flood watch. So a wet start to the weekend for a lot of folks especially if you're driving 95 uh, down in the southeast. Emily? Okay, we need her now. All right, thanks a lot, Ginger. Grab the umbrellas as we head into the weekend here. And thank you so much for joining us for the briefing room today. Be sure to tune in uh, for the debrief, rather. Be sure to tune in for the briefing room. That's coming up at 3.30 this afternoon. And then World News Prime is later on this evening at 8 o'clock. I'm Emily Rao, and we hope to see you right back here tomorrow. Have a great day.